Welcome back to Capitalist Adventures, where we hope to shed light on the diverse puzzle pieces that make up the VC community. My name is Jonathan, and this is my co-host, Akash Bhatt. Thank you, Jonathan. It's good to be back here with you on the podcast. We are really excited to kick off today's episode with our good friend, Phoebe Wang from Shell Ventures. Phoebe has spent much of her career supporting sustainability-focused entrepreneurs and specifically likes backing founders, building impactful solutions in new energies and oil and gas. Welcome to the podcast, Phoebe. We're really excited to speak to you today. Thank you, Akash. Thanks, Jonathan. Hi, everybody. Yeah, really excited to be part of the podcast. Phoebe, it's great to have you as a guest. You've had quite a career journey so far as both an entrepreneur and an investor, and I'm really eager to dive into that. But first, I need to acknowledge how excited I am to have another Rice Owl on this podcast. And now you tell me you're currently based in Houston, which is really exciting as well. So I'd love to start off by asking you about your background, your experience, and tell us generally about how you ended up in the VC space. Yeah, absolutely. So I did material science engineering for my undergraduate. It's a really tight background. But then I also did three different minors in environmental engineering, uh, one in entrepreneurship, but then we call it technopreneurship, so focus on technology. Um, and then the third one was a business minor because I really didn't have much insights in the business. So I figured that would be very helpful to do a minor as an undergraduate student. So after I graduated, I went through the very normal route as a material science engineering graduate. Did an engineering job in in various capacities. I was refinery engineer with ExxonMobil back in early 2000, and when um, the oil and gas price was like in the 120, 150 dollars per barrel uh, range. And then later on, I moved to a sales engineer with. Strontium Technology, which is a, a DUN, uh, like a basically dealing with a dynamic random access memory, having my previous IC design experience or knowledge that I learned before. And then later on, I decided to move to more like a business focused area or a business development space. So I did my uh, CFA, the Charter Financial Analyst Program, uh, did all three levels, and then also did my MBA, as I mentioned, with RICE. And that actually opened up a lot of roads for me. I did a short stint uh, in the investment banking side, and then later on joined uh, Ophers Ventures, which is a later stage um, venture capital as a MBA graduate. And I started as a venture capital associate back in 2012. We were in Investing primarily in the clean tech, or now looking back, clean tech 1.0. And after that, did a few years in the later stage investing, and then uh, moved to the Bay Area in 2015 for the family relocation. And really, I think that actually changed my whole perspective as a venture capitalist because I did this startup called CareDND for two years. And it was a really different experience because my previous experience was always out like either working in a big company, right, as an engineer or like being the investor. But then starting your own company is totally different. So did that for a while and eventually closed that out because of the liability issue and then rejoined the the venture capital world and um, become the energy investor. I'm now the principal in the Shell Ventures. That's my past 20 years in a nutshell. Wow, Phoebe. 
There are a lot of really diverse experiences in there from startup operator to investment banking to VC and engineering and everything in between. It's all really fascinating. Which job or which experience would you say has had the biggest impact on you as a current VC? And which role do you think has shaped the way you look at startups or the way you interact with startups the most? Yeah, actually, I think a lot of those uh, build into my current mindset about looking at startups. If you really want me to choose, I actually think two really stand out. One is my early stage, like early in my career as an associate or senior associate in the venture capital fund, right? Because that really helped me build out the modeling skills, the market research skills, and really looking at least a 10 pitch deck every day actually help you build out a pretty good way of evaluating startups. So that, I think, really helped me build out the foundation of how to evaluate companies, how to deal with entrepreneurs, how to help them like realize their dreams. I think that's super important. And then the other one is my experience with Carrie D&D as an entrepreneur CEO, because I always heard, like before I moved to the area, I always heard that operating experience is super important, right? But then everybody is super busy with their current role as a, either an investor or um, trying to raise the fund. So that never occurred to me that's going to be on my career or on my resume. But I think the two years founder experience really teach me how hard it is to be an entrepreneur, uh, specifically to build out an own team, convince the investor, convince the talents to be able to join the company and also wearing multiple hats are super super important at the same time it's also hard to do because you're juggling different jobs and different roles so yeah after the experience there I think the change of the mindset the change of like I feel more more resonate with entrepreneurs that I meet nowadays because I used to sit on the other side of the table and also really broaden out a network for me and because I went through an incubator uh, in Berkeley skydive gone through the typical like uh, chasing the VC and uh, working with other entrepreneurs so yeah that's a shift of mindset or and also broaden my network quite significantly yeah I would say that these two are are important for my career and obviously my current role is super exciting right but if you're you're looking at how I got where I am now it's definitely those two yeah you know what Phoebe that makes total sense As you mentioned, operating experience is definitely quite critical. And like you, I've also been on both sides of the table. And I know Akash has also been a startup founder and we're now all sitting here as investors too. So as someone who's been on both sides of the table now, you've gone through every iteration of what founders and investors go through. Incubators, accelerators, you had an operating experience and now you're a VC. It's always fascinating to kind of understand the motivations that brought you into VC specifically. Because you come from a background where you've studied material science, you've been an engineer, you've done finance. Now, there are so many different career paths you could have chosen, yet you ended up here in the venture capital space supporting startups. And I'd say that's not a very common path or a common role. And I know a lot of our listeners out here are really curious to hear the motivations and just why exactly you ended up choosing VC as a career. 
Yeah, I, I think it's.、Uh, I think everybody gets to become a venture capitalist through different routes, right? And there are so many different routes there. I, I wouldn't say that I plan the whole thing, but early on, I know that ultimately、uh, I do want to have my long career relevant to the、uh, startup ecosystem. So the environment is always important in my mind. So I am a parent, and I know that I want my children and the future generations to have a good environment and a good earth to live on. And it is an important topic. So that's why when I was in my undergraduate, I actually did environmental engineering for my minor, and then also later on, my first job out of the MBA is is a clean tech investor. So it has always been on my mind that I want to make a contribution and make an impact in the environment. Previously, I was a principal at BP Ventures as well. I think both BP and Shell has done tremendously in like the energy transition topic. So when I was even when I was doing my startup, when I think about my next move, I know that hey, I want to make a big impact and where I can make it is definitely with one of the biggest giant in the energy. Space、uh, and、uh, contribute in the energy transition. So I would say that I'm more interested in the impact that I can make for the environment and、uh, the venture capital and the、uh, startup ecosystem is where I see how I can be like the impact that I can make is most meaningful. You know what, Phoebe? I really respect that. As a parent, I know your priorities have shifted and changed since you know you've had your kid, but I wish in general. More VCs, more and more investors would focus more on on impact and sustainability, and would back founders building solutions that are making the world a better place as well. So, on that note, I'd like to shift gears a little bit, and I'd love you to tell us more about Shell Ventures and your investment thesis. And I'm particularly curious to hear how this has shifted and changed during COVID, if at all. So Shell Ventures is the corporate venture capital arm for Royal Dutch Shell. We've been around since 1998, so it's been a long time. Now we have major offices in Europe, the USA,、uh, China, India, and we also collaborate with other different. Parts within Shell, like for example, Shell Game Changer, TechWorks, and all those different what we call open innovation collaboration organizations. So Shell Ventures,、uh, we we are basically investing in three different categories, right? The power,、uh, mobility, and the technologies, enabling technologies that could invest or help our core business in the oil and gas to improve the efficiency. So I think after the COVID hit, we definitely see a huge、uh, trend or a huge shift for the broader industry shifted to the automation and digitalization because everybody worked from home. Only essential workers probably work in the field, but we do want to make sure that we we can still make the organization or make our operations continue. So I see that industrial IoT, digitalization, and robotics even is. Becoming a big trend in the space. Phoebe, I'm glad you brought this up because it's really interesting to explore what Shell Ventures' interests are when it comes to some subsectors within the ones that you mentioned, such as clean tech, sustainability, as well as climate tech. Because oftentimes, when the media talks about it, or when we have discussions very casually, these terms are interchangeable and are loosely thrown around. Where do you stand from an investment perspective? On these subsectors, and more importantly, how would you define and differentiate between 
all of these subsectors such as climate clean and sustainability when it comes from a shell ventures point of view That's actually a good question because uh, I think people think it's interchangeable. I've been investing in clean tech since 2012, right? So back then, clean tech includes the wind, solar, uh, geothermal, basically all the technologies that could make the energy cleaner. For climate tech, it's more specific for companies that could make an impact for the climate um, to basically defeating the climate change problem that we are we are currently at. So to me, clean tech and climate Attack is actually probably solving a very similar problem for the social impact uh, investing that has been getting a lot of traction. Like since a few years ago, right、uh, when ESG become a main、uh, topic or criteria for pension fund or those、uh, limited partners to be implemented. So you see a lot of funds that are、uh, social impact investing. And then I think for corporate, there are also a few corporates that they have. Have a fund that is aside from their main fund to be primarily solving the social problems. So I see this as a broader, like the problem set and the social impact investing is a lot bigger compared to the clean tech and climate tech. And also, how you evaluate the investment performance is a little bit different because I think for the social impacting, you have the double bottom line, right? So you have not only the Financial return, but also how much impact, how much you can quantify that、uh, in terms of the societal improvement. So, if you're pure clean tech or climate tech investors, I think the typical venture capital、uh, requirements still holds. So, the other thing that we're trying to understand on this podcast, Phoebe, is that is this shift in the market meaningful in any way? We've seen the likes of Shell being part of the ecosystem. For a while now, and the new players like Amazon coming into the play with their clean tech fund really adds and changes the dimension a little further and pushes the needle. Right now, we saw a shift late in the 2000s, from 2006 to 2008, the number of VC investments in U.S. clean tech sector increased by 137 percent, and while the deal value more than tripled, firms pumped in. Billions of dollars into startups developing solar panels, smart grids, and other capital-intensive form of climate-friendly tech, but that didn't last. The financial crisis hit, and、uh, and post that we saw the rise of fracking, which made natural gas too cheap to pass up. Government then subsidized solar panels from China, which flooded the market, driving well-funded U.S. upstarts such as、uh, Solenergy out of business. Now, between 2011, 2017, the clean tech venture deal value declined by 44%, if I'm not wrong, as awareness about risks posed by climate change continued to grow. Investments in startups aiming to solve such problems also continued to shrink. Now, while you're looking at this from a shell perspective and looking at incumbents as well as new entrants into the market, now what is the differentiation that Shell brings to the table? And what is the vision, perhaps with a ten-year lens in mind? So I think first of all, the climate change, right, and then the the environmental、uh, side, it is an important topic, and we are at this stage where we need to do something. I mean, not only the shells, the 
the other like IOCs, but also like the tech giants. And in addition, I think most of the tech companies they use a lot of energy in their data center and applications. So it is important for them to come into this place and be a player. And as you mentioned, Amazon, Microsoft, and a lot of others actually started their billion-dollar fund. I think this will change the landscape quite a bit because once you have a flux of capital in, it definitely would have induced innovation in the space. So from our perspective, since we've been in the industry for a long time, we feel pretty excited to see more activities and more entrepreneurs coming into the space. At the same time, I went through the Quintet 1.0, right? So I've always been pretty skeptical and also concerned when entrepreneurs or when startups are looking for a problem to solve, given the capital around. So that's definitely something that we should always be careful about going forward when there is abundance of capital. And then to your second part of the question, we have been, I think, even after COVID, we have not slowed down in our investing and scouting and the initiatives in the clean tech space. So we actually closed a deal called South 8 Technologies. It's a battery technology company which develops novel liquefied gas electrolyte. So they have the know-how and this is a chemistry for the next generation rechargeable and primary lithium batteries and electrochemical capacitors. So one key advantage for South 8 is their the technology is quite unique in terms of the liquefied gas in the electrolyte applications. So one of the key advantage for them is their operating temperature range like between minus 80 degrees to 60 degrees Celsius. That's a that's a pretty large range. So we, we're yeah we're definitely happy to be part of the journey and help them to commercialize their technology. And the other one that I want to point out is Palmetto. And so you, you probably saw the announcement that we, we participated at the $29 million Series B round. So Palmetto is a company or startup that makes the purchasing, installing, and maintenance of renewable energy solutions easy and transparent to, for customers. So it's also a part of the whole landscape in the power storage space. Now, moving ahead, I had a question with respect to patience. Now, we all know that being in venture capital, the returns are anywhere between eight to 10 years. It takes a long time to realize some of our investments and really know if we've actually made a good investment or not. Now, that actually becomes a little more interesting and tricky when we invest into clean tech, green tech, as well as anything that is in the realm of climate tech. It seems to me that the waiting period is slightly longer, given that the impact here takes a long time to actually show some of its returns. So from an investment point of view, from a Shell Ventures point of view, how do you look at it? And what kind of returns and impact are you hoping to get out of some of the investments that you make in the sector? That's a good question. I think for the battery technology, we actually see the lifetime for it is medium and if you compare it to some other deep tech so i think for traditional venture capitalists it is important to understand uh, what are you investing into right because a lot of times if it is a pure chemistry or a new material or even if you need to build out a plant a lot of times the whole iteration of one pilot plant could be easily three to five years 
And then if you're looking at the typical venture capitalist life time, it's 10 years and you can do a 10 plus plus, like extend it to 12 years or 13 years. But really a lot of times the investments could outlive the fund's life. So it is important to understand what we want to get out of the investment. So one thing that I see is now you have a lot of funds who are mission-driven. So for example, Breakthrough and like a few others, I think even for Amazon, probably they're looking at value that's other than the pure financial returns. So I think those those folks, this is the right space for them to play in. But then for the uh, for the typical venture capital, right, with the typical uh, fund life, it's important to understand what is the right business model that you want the startups to be participating in. So a lot of times, it doesn't the company the startup doesn't with the technology doesn't really need to build out the actual plans or do the production and all those capital intensive activities, right? Because those are probably not very capital efficient early on. But rather they can license out their technology or they can build a platform for uh, like a bigger corporations to carry on with their technology IP. So those, those I see could have a much earlier or a faster access. So for example, companies, if you're looking at the exit plan, right, it's either going through the mergers acquisitions or going through the IPO. So if you already have a good licensing program or uh, collaboration with the corporates, it's easy to go through the acquisition route as an exit. Yeah, very interesting. You mentioned exits. I mean, combining that with the topic of, of South 8 and what they do, uh, you know, as performance and battery capacity continues to improve, a lot of people are looking at increased viability for electric vehicles, right? Now, you have companies like Tesla, you've got Nikola, Xpeng, Lordstown Motors, you know, many of which have already gone through or are mulling IPOs and going public. And it's, you know, there's been a lot of recent conversations happening around the space. So... I'm really interested in your thoughts on the broader topics of decarbonization, energy transitions, and the shifting consumer preference from motor vehicles and gas vehicles to EV and you know EV charging infrastructure um, and just cleaner ways of transportation as a whole. So really, to boil that down, I'd love to know what your thoughts are on the space and the impacts that Shell has been making towards a lot of these innovations as well. So energy, like energy transition has been like our top priority list right now. So uh, if you're looking at our investments, rarely you would see the investment doesn't adjust the energy transition topic. So in terms of the EV, like specifically, if you want to zoom in into like batteries and EVs, right? So from our standpoint, since 2016, we have this new organization called New Energies uh, started. So it's a separate department from our traditional oil and gas space. So the focus over there is more on the power, like renewable power, like wind, solar, uh, and what have you. So since the establishment of that new energies organization, so Shell Ventures is now being part of the NE, the new energies. And uh, we actually look at a lot of companies that in the EV space and uh, or enabling technologies in the EV space, right? We're, we're investor of Aurora, we're um, investor of Sense Photonics. 
So, and Shell, so this is not like from Shell Ventures, but Shell actually acquired a new motion and a green lots in the past two, three years. So new motion, you can think of that as the like a charge point for for Europe, and then um, green green lots. I believe that uh, a lot of you guys are very familiar with them. They're an EV infrastructure platform provider. So I definitely see like we have been making a lot of progress and in the EV and uh, in the battery storage space. And it it also goes along with our strategy because we want to be the energy provider, right? It doesn't matter what for like form our the the energy comes in so yeah i definitely see like a lot of progress there speaking of progress phoebe i have a little bit of a stranger question for you so you know i come from an ag and food tech background and we all know that in the agriculture space digitization has been excruciatingly slow uh, and very very gradual Uh, but nowadays over the past few years you know we're seeing huge you know, leaps in speed of adoption of technologies and tons of investment coming into the space. Um, And the digital transformation revolution is definitely underway in agriculture. And the same is happening in clean energy and deep tech as well. So as we move forward, you know, more ubiquitous modes of electric vehicle transportation uh, will be more commonplace. So I'm really wondering here, What's going to happen to gas stations? How will they need to innovate and digitalize to stay competitive? If you really think about it, gas stations are one of those legacy infrastructures that have been around for decades now and seemingly unchanged as well. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. We've been like thinking about that for for the long time. Yeah, I, I can't really comment on the future of that, but then uh, just from my personal experience or personal thinking, right? It's the gas station. If you're looking at the retail stations that we have, we have thousands of retail stations in the prime locations in the United States and in other countries. And really, these are a very important part of our whole business landscape. So if you're thinking about in the future, there are less and less folks going to gas stations to fill up the gas. So there are a few like different areas that the gas stations can play a part, right? One one way is the fast battery swap or fast charging of the technology advanced to that level. So instead of going to gas station to fill up the tank, you can go to the gas station to charge your car or uh, swap your battery. So we, we're also investing in, in Ample for, yeah, for their technology for the uh, battery swap space. So, so that is like a probably more like a natural wave when folks think about uh, retail station. But then uh, if you jump out of the traditional thinking or jump out of the box, the gas station is a, is a very interesting location, right? It has the prime vicinity like between highway or the shopping mall or the home. So it is at the very good location. And if you look at that as a whole, and there are multiple, like uh, if we just let our imagination fly, there could be a lot of different uh, usage for prime locations like this. Like for example, you can have the fly taxi as a launching pad for fly taxi or stations there. So I think there are a lot of ways that we can we can innovate there and we need to find the right solutions and right startups to progress in that, to solve that problem. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And speaking on the topic of shifting frontiers, you know, when you mentioned flying taxis, it brought me back uh, to, to the grounded reality that we started so many years ago with regular taxi services uh, and have progressed significantly since. Now you've got shared taxi services, you've got electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles that will be shuttling people back and forth in the future, and so on and so forth. And there just seems to be a constant iteration and a constant upgrading of the infrastructure. I mean, the most obvious thing I'm seeing here now is you know, no one really has a strong understanding of how all this will apply to the final frontier, which is space, right? And that's an area I've been personally very curious about. I uh, wrote a paper in an academic journal back in 2017 speculating on the severity of the space environmentalist uh, problem and trying to figure out how to clean up space junk. Uh, and I've also seen news recently of you know the Mars Perseverance rover touching down, uh, all of SpaceX's uh, successful rocket launches, uh, and you know I've even recently published an article talking about you know food production in space and how we can possibly adapt vertical farming technologies here on Earth uh, into a, a harsher environment. Uh, on an extraterrestrial planet like Mars. So, you know, there's clearly a discussion that has to happen around clean energy in space. What I'm curious about is to hear your thoughts on clean energy and how it applies to that final frontier to our atmosphere beyond. Yeah, so in the space, it's it's interesting that you mentioned about how space or how satellites could play a part in this, the areas that we invest in, right? So if you're looking at our business lines, also the methane detection or GHG, greenhouse gas detection, is super important for our business lines. So for example, our exploration team, it is important for them to know if there's a leakage uh, like in the deep water uh, drilling rig. So there are a lot of companies that we look at in the space which would provide monitoring services or detection technology for us to identify in that space uh, or to basically help us make sure that our operations is intact. And then to your question in the clean energy space and then also the space environment as a whole. So clearly if you launch a satellite and there will be a lot of mechanical waste in the space, which is similar to what we've seen in the oceans, right? So how to clean that up? I think that's a continuous discussion. I don't think that we've seen a lot of discussions around there, but it's an important topic and it should be everybody's mind, not only Shell, because we don't not launch the satellite. But then zooming to the, to the energy, to the clean energy, because I think that's a more interesting topic. So a teacher class in Berkeley and the innovation of energy. So historically, we've always been talking about the wave technology, right? The, the solar, the wind, and it's always on the earth. But then if we're looking at space, it's actually the ideal place for a solar farm because you don't really need to worry about the day and night. You don't need to worry about the atmosphere, right? A lot of times you would have the direct sunlight or you would have the direct energy from solar. So that would be a good or interesting way if we're going to have a solar farm in the space. And I know that there are countries talking about that. And maybe like in the next 20, 30 years, we would have a much better and sustainable resource of energy from the solar space. But one thing I would urge if you're an entrepreneur like sitting in front of the podcast is that 
really finding one one part or one piece of the value chain and uh, try to innovate in the space. For example, if we produce energy from the space solar, how to bring that energy back to Earth. That's important, right? And then that's definitely like right now, the, the development and the infrastructure cost is super high, but how to reduce that and how to, if there's any frontier technology that could solve that problem, I think probably not in the next three to five years, but in the next decade, decade or two, this would definitely solve the energy problem because we, we use a lot of energy. Yeah. Now, you bring up some really interesting points there because space exploration sector is perhaps the hottest investment area in all of technology at the moment. While investment funds within the space sector are still nascent compared to other areas of investment, several have been created and launched in just the past 24 months. And that to me is extremely interesting because a lot more generalists are now getting interested in investing in this space, no pun intended. And despite expectations that space infrastructure would be hardest hit by the pandemic, 2020, in fact, turned out to be a record for investments in space technology and private investment in space companies just in 2020 set a new record of $8.9 billion. And what's also interesting, Phoebe, is that in addition to the record investment, there were also 24 exits for infrastructure space companies in 2020 with investors liquidating $7.9 billion of value. And if you just take a look at all the acquisitions in the last decade, 2020 actually happens to be a standout year with more number of companies getting acquired in the space tech uh, space. Now, as somebody who's actively looking into this space, quote unquote, what kind of advice would you give to generalist VCs who have now taken an interest in trying to explore and invest into space tech? Yeah, I think this is a very helpful question for many folks for, for the podcast. So I think first of all, I think it touched upon a very important topic, right? So you, you've got to learn the space. Although there are generalist like investors or generalist fund investing in, in the space, I see folks who actually are able to successfully done a, a good investment or identify a good startups definitely have the domain knowledge. So find out one uh, that uh, like resonate or interest you particularly, uh, and then try to study as much as possible in the space. And um, so that is one. And two is leverage the the ecosystem. So I know that there are a lot of investors like myself and others that has been in the clean tech or deep tech investing for years or decades. So understanding like a collaborate with folks like that would be very helpful. And then third is to get the state of art, like understand what is the, the current technology because a lot of times startups can have a great vision, but whether the technology readiness or their feasibility study is, is at that stage or not, is definitely something that needs to be validated. So those are three little suggestions for getting the knowledge. Now, moving to how to evaluate the companies, because I think that's an important part once you have a good pipeline of startups and a good uh, understanding of the space. It is important to know that evaluating companies and particularly for companies with deep technology, like a, a full suite of IP and have potential and basically different from the 
traditional like software startups, right? So these these companies, the evaluation method would be different from the Silicon Valley typical way of evaluating, right? It's not going to be like a number of consumers in the platform, but it's more like you would be looking at uh, how many LOIs, letter of intent, uh, how many pilots are there, and what's their potential project pipeline. So those are more tangible ways to evaluate a company. And those are definitely something that folks need to understand. So working with big corporations in, in the particular industry, because those would be the potential customers for the startups. So those are important to have and build out a good relationship with. Okay, Phoebe, I'm loving this conversation. We could go on and on about this, but I'm afraid we only have a few minutes left here on the clock. And I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the topic of diversity and inclusion, especially within venture capital. Now, I don't want to bring up just the issue of gender or race or ethnicities, but I want you to shed a little bit more light on the broader spectrum of diversity and inclusion. Because as you and I know, diversity of the founding team plays an important role in the success of the investment decisions as each investor looks for diversity no matter what the vertical is, right? Now, the logic here being that we as VCs often look for founders with diverse backgrounds because that really brings a wide range of experiences and skill sets. Now, putting that into play within venture capital, it's also really important for us to highlight that diversity within the investment team is also important to draw on those experiences while we make these unique decisions. So talk to us a little bit about your experience and where does Shell really stand on it? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. I probably would chime in if you didn't. <laughs> so diversity and inclusion has been a very important topic for Shell Ventures. And for me as well, because I resonate that a lot, because coming from my background, because I, did, uh, I was not born in U.S., right? And then I have always been the majority in the, in the environment that I've been. And coming here, suddenly I'm double minority in terms of gender and ethnicity. And certainly, like, if you're looking at energy and uh, you're looking at um, venture capital, right? If you overlap these two, like, obviously, it's very skewed. There's a lot of things that we need to do in the in diversity and inclusion. So I'm really proud that for Shell Ventures, we've seen a lot of really good progress. Like for example, almost half of our deal leading principals are female. And we have a very strong pipeline of female associates and analysts further down, further developed into the leadership role. And I would also say that now leading the diversity and inclusion task force in Shell Ventures, right? Not only the gender and the ethnicity is important, but also the ways, like the diversity of the background and diversity in the ways of thinking is super important. Our team ranges from entrepreneurs and private equity investors. We have refinery engineers, rocket scientists, and even the surfer, right? So all these diversity background and uh, like ways of thinking is important for us to, as a team, to be able to attract the diverse entrepreneur because it is a pipeline problem. In a nutshell, I'm super happy with what we have done so far. And also, I think it is important to talk about the diversity and inclusion, but I think it's more important that we need to implement in our 
daily practice, right? How to integrate that in our investment process? Are we looking at the diversity or how inclusive is the startup? So all those actions still need to be done. And I'm definitely looking forward to be part of the journey and yeah, be part of that effort in this industry. Well said, Phoebe. Enacting change, taking leadership, and being representative are all hallmarks of being not just a good investor, but also a good citizen. And I'm really glad that we're able to end on this note because the whole idea of diversity and inclusion underpins the entire reason why Akash and I started this podcast. We wanted to build a community around investors with you know, remarkable backgrounds who came from diverse upbringings and underrepresented experiences. And your story today has been so awesome to dig into. It's really been a wonderful conversation. And of course, we'd love to have you back on the podcast in the future. But before we jump off, Phoebe, how can our listeners find you and connect with you offline? Yeah, so feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and I'm pretty responsive. Like if you leave me a comment or anything. And if you want to learn more about Shell Ventures, you can just search Shell Ventures, right? We have our website and all our information and portfolio companies are up there. And we also have a news, newsroom, which has pretty updated like information about the deals that we are doing. But last but not least, thank you, Jonathan Akash. This has been a wonderful experience and definitely let me know how it can be helpful in the future. Phoebe, it's been a pleasure having you on the episode. And I've had a ball speaking to you about all of your experiences and investments. I've learned a whole lot about what Shell Ventures does and what it is planning to do in the coming years from an investment point of view. Thank you so much for your time again. Now, if you're like me and Jonathan and really enjoyed this episode, we would urge you to go and hit the like, share, and subscribe button because you can discover both our future episodes and help others identify our podcast as well. That's it from us this week. Don't forget to tune in again next Wednesday as we bring another stellar guest onto our podcast. See you in about seven days' time. <laughs>